Welcome to Hum Co Learn, a lively and informative podcast where you, the listeners, get the inside scoop on the issues affecting the students and families of Humboldt County. I'm Michael Davis Hughes, Superintendent of Schools for Humboldt County and the host of Hum Co Learn. For each edition of the podcast, we feature a special guest whose work intersects with education. And today, I am thrilled to welcome California State Treasurer Fiona Ma. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you here with us here in Humboldt County. So I'd like to begin this afternoon by asking you a few things about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, I mean, how you came to serve in this position? Okay. Um, first off, I am the oldest child of immigrant parents. Um, they were both born in China, immigrated to Hong Kong. They met in Canada and decided to settle in New York. So that's where I was born and raised. Uh, growing up, my parents wanted us to be one of the lead professions, mm. a lawyer, engineer, accountant, or a doctor. So I'm an accountant, my brother's an engineer, and my sister is a doctor. So wow. you're just missing a lawyer <laughs> in the family. If we had another child, yes. I'm sure um, he or she would have been a lawyer. So I went to school, undergraduate for accounting, uh, graduated, and by this time my parents had come to San Francisco. My grandfather was a minister, and my mom was an only child, so she would follow my grandfather depending on mm. where his church was. So they moved to San Francisco. I graduated, moved to San Francisco, decided to take my first job with a big eight accounting firm uh, specializing in real estate taxation, then quit after five years to start my own practice at the age of 28 years old and got drafted to be the president of a small business association. So that was the first time I got involved in politics. I had to go down to the Board of Supervisors, testify on bills in Sacramento. And I started to understand that politics is important, that these folks are making those policy decisions, the money decisions. And I just got very intrigued with that, being at the decision-making table. So it took eight years before I actually ran for my first office because my parents did not want me to give up accounting to be a politician. Mm -hmm. Anyone can be a politician. Um, but I ran for the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 2002 against seven other candidates. I won. Then I ran for the State Assembly in 2006 to 2012. Then I had to sit out for two years because of redistricting, redistricting, and they took away my Senate seat. And so I decided to run for the State Board of Equalization, our tax board. And then in 2018, ran for state treasurer and just got recently reelected in 2022 for my last and fourth term. Congratulations term. for that. Thank you. So coming full circle, my father is finally proud of me. <laughs> I'm sure he was proud of you earlier. Well, you know, they didn't really understand politics, right? And yeah. so now as the treasurer of the fourth largest economy, I'm not wasting my education yeah. and my private sector experience and now my public sector. So um, very happy to be here, very comfortable in this role. And unlike being the tax collector where I collected people's taxes, people didn't call me. 
now as treasurer, yeah. I give away a lot of money, fund and finance mm -hmm. a lot of projects. So I'm very happy that people call me and they're happy to hear from me. Well, we certainly appreciate your support for K-12 education. It has a huge impact, obviously, on the lives of our youngest learners. So you are the California State Treasurer. And for our listeners, what does that mean? And what are some of the responsibilities of that position that people may not know? Yeah, so I am the state treasurer, which is the state banker. So all of the revenues come into my office. Last year was $3.2 trillion. I also invest a short-term portfolio of $200 billion, which includes local government, cities, counties like Humboldt and Eureka and, and others are part of my um, pooled money investment account. And I also issue all the bonds for the mm. state of California, as well as for the UC and CSUs. In addition, I chair 13 boards, commissions, and authorities that funds and finances affordable housing, uh, charter schools, hospitals, children's hospitals and clinics, public transportation, green energy, advanced manufacturing. I now oversee four savings programs. We're going to talk a little bit about savings programs, and I'm a big uh, proponent. My parents have saved money since we were born and I didn't have student loan debt and actually had extra money to buy my first home. So saving early does really work. And then I sit on CalPERS and CalSTRS, California Earthquake Authority, uh, the iBank, uh, California Housing Finance Authority, et cetera. So mm. anybody that needs, wants money comes either <laughs> through my office or I am a voting member. Oh my goodness. You... I you serve on so many different committees and boards. How, what do you do when you're not working? Uh, this. I'm, I'm visiting <laughs> the, the, the different uh, yeah. counties, uh, going on tours, um, meeting business owners. I also, because I do a lot of the economic development in the yeah. state, I've taken it upon myself to educate myself, uh, promote everything that's amazing about California. If you follow me on social media, it's always something new and mm -hmm. exciting. And I want people to buy California grown, support our local small businesses. And of course, that means making sure that our kids right. are getting the best education because that also attracts businesses to come to California. Absolutely. You're not a stranger to Humboldt County. You'd mentioned when we first were introduced that you've been here to Humboldt County before. I have a couple of times, yeah. uh, starting in 2015, okay. 2015, when I was on the State Board of Equalization, um, actually studying uh, the cannabis industry, mm -hmm. since this was kind of the Napa Valley yeah. of that industry. Yeah, and that, that industry certainly has gone through um, quite a transformation over the last few years, yes. certainly since 2015. What do you love most about your work? I love to meet people. Um, I'm um, an extrovert, I'm a people person, and in this position I like to help people. Whether it's cut through the red tape, get them their refund, connect them with resources. Um, like here today I had a meeting before the Board of Supervisors and they all have a project that they wanted to put on the on my radar, and so I'm making phone calls, connecting them with the people that um, that they need to be connected to. So yeah. that's what I really like about this job. Yeah, I think you probably have to be a people person in order to be effective in this work, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. 
So you're here in Humboldt County to speak about a, a very exciting and exciting and important opportunity for students and families. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so a few years ago, the governor and the uh, legislature allocated $1.8 billion uh, to establish child savings accounts. So every newborn born after July 1st of 2022 is eligible to uh, have $100 in their child savings accounts. And that will grow over time until the child is ready to go to school, higher education, or a certified apprenticeship program. In addition, every first through 12th grader on free and reduced lunch mm -hmm. will get $500. If they're a foster youth, another $500. And if they're homeless, another 500. So that could be $1,500 for yeah. a child. And right now there's about 92,000 kids who are eligible for this free money yeah. that has not signed up. Yeah, absolutely. Humboldt. You know, I I believe I heard from one of your staff members that he, just here in Humboldt County, there are 9,000 students who are eligible. You know, that seems like a, wow. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and many people, you know, are wary about scams. Is this really free money? Yeah. Is it going to be tied to anything, right? Is government going to, you know, follow them? And so that's why we're here is right. to say this is free money. Yeah. This is for their child and come and claim it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's clear that you have a passion for students and a desire to see them succeed, of course. Other than the CalKids program, how does your work as a state treasurer intersect with education? Yeah, so um, I chair the California School Finance Authority, um, which um, helps charter schools purchase property, expand or renovate their property. Because in California, there's um, the public schools and the charter schools, even though they're all public schools, mm -hmm. but the public schools get their allocation out of the general fund for school construction, expansion, renovations. The charter schools do not get that money. And so the legislature set up this agency, and so I chair that. Um, we also built our first student housing project on the Santa Rosa Community College site. Oh. Builders, developers didn't want to build on community college sites because the transient nature of college students. So right. it's hard to make sure that, you know, you're penciling your project. So we are now in that business and mm. hoping uh, to expand. I also chair the California Educational Finance Authority, which helps private nonprofit colleges with their financing to expand or renovate and uh, build. So I touch a lot yeah. of education. Um, and so it's just, um, it's, it's nice to be able to focus during this time on CalKids and come and talk to um, county boards of education and parents again about yeah. this, these programs. Absolutely. You know, Humboldt County is a rural county. Uh, we're pretty large geographically, about 4,500 square miles, I believe. But in that space, we have 31 school districts, 15 charter schools, serving only 18,000 students, right? Mm -hmm. So we have districts that are as small as six students, 
we have three districts that are under a dozen students. So, yeah, it's pretty rural. And so, you know, when you think about your work and the way it intersects with education, every dollar counts for yes. those districts. Yes. Right. And they're, 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 they're the heart of the community. Um, so, yeah, really good to have your support. Your office, you, you've spoken about this, manages a huge amount of money. Uh, you, men you mentioned having an investment portfolio of $200 billion. That's with a B. <laughs> How do you go about determining where to invest the state's money? So that is a short-term portfolio. Um, so I have to invest in short-term um, you know, asset uh, um, investment uh, like treasury notes and, and T-bills and commercial paper, just in case the state needs the money for any reason. They, it has to be in liquid, um, easily accessible um, assets. So that is that portfolio. So part of that is a third is local government money, counties, cities, and special districts that deposit money with my office and we invest for them so that you don't have to have your own investment team, right? And so it cuts down on your cost. You leverage our expertise in our office. And so that is that pool. And so far so good over the last four years, um, that portfolio has consistently been 200 billion or above. Wow, wow. How did, COVID-19 pandemic alter the way in which the state treasurer's office approached its work? Similar to schools, yeah. I'm, I'm sure people were pretty shocked with the stay-at-home order. And for us too, non-essential workers um, were working from home. However, since we are the bank and the bankers, we cannot shut our yeah. doors. If we shut our doors, everything would fall apart. So I had about 100 team workers that came to work every day to make sure that we were processing all of the payments and getting the money out. So yeah. that's kind of how we um, how we dealt with COVID-19. And then eventually we rolled uh, people back and asked them to come back for two days a week. So far is our, our standard yeah. rule. And it's working out. Um, I think it's working out fine. Yeah. So you still have a, a large number of employees who are still working partially from home? Uh, some of them, yes. Yeah. Some of them are yeah. about a th a two thirds, yes. still are at least um, three days a week. They're yes. able to work at home. They can come in right. if they want to, yeah. but we're trying to follow all the other state agencies. Yeah, it's just interesting how the pandemic has just altered, a little shifted a little bit of mindset about flexibilities within the workplace for certain positions, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, some people, I like to go to work. I don't like to stay home. I've got three dogs. I live with my dad. And the doorbell is always ringing because Amazon's delivering a package. You know, the dogs <laughs> want to play as soon as I sit home. But some people do like it. Yeah. Right? right. They could save money on gas and meals. And so yeah. I, I think it's a good option. And it's taught us that not everyone has to go to work and sit at a desk mm -hmm. five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. You've spent the majority of your career as a public servant, including serving on the State Board of Equalization, as you said, in the State Assembly. 
Are there individuals who have inspired you to be in public service? And if so, who are they? Yeah, so my first boss, uh, Senator John Burton, um, he always had a Chinese representative, a Latino or Latina, LGBT. Um, and so that slot opened up. And I really wanted to work full time for him. But my parents, again, said, please don't do that. And so we cut a deal and I was able to work as his field representative for two days out of the week. And I just loved going out to community meetings. Um, John Burton is an introvert. He doesn't like to go to a lot of things. So people expected me to show up with the certificate at the ribbon cuttings and, you know, the birthday parties. And it just suited my personality. Um, and so John Burton gave me my first opportunity. And then another close role model and mentor is Congressman Mike Honda from San Jose. He would fly back from D.C. and stand by my side at Asian community meetings um, to help me get elected to my first position. Mm. People like that, yeah. you know, invested in me and um, are still my strongest role models today. Mm. And I take a lot of their values and principles and what they believe in in my work. Yeah. You said something uh, that resonated with me there about you had someone that that invested in you, right? That invested their time, their energy, their resources. <laughs> and what a lesson that is for our children, right? And, and something that is so valuable to them is having someone that believes in them yes. and that is willing to invest their time and energy. And I would say to any young person, uh, ask someone to be your mentor. Mm. Like people may not, you know, students may not approach you because you're like the top, right? And you're the leader and you're the superintendent. But I'm sure if someone said, superintendent, would you mentor me? You'd be like flattered. You'd be like, of mm -hmm. course, you know, come shadow me, you know, come learn, come intern in my office, right? That's what young people need these days. They yeah. need those opportunities and those opportunities to learn and grow because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And their parents usually want them to do something else that they may not want to do in life. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true, thank you for that. The majority of our school funding comes from the state of California. What involvement do you have in, in drafting the governor's annual budget? especially in determining how it's allocated to K-12 schools? Yeah, so uh, the governor is the person in charge of putting together the budget every year. So he releases the budget on January 10th normally, and then from January 10th through June 30th, the legislature has an opportunity to go through the budget, hold hearings, and either you know tweak the budget, basically. Um, they can't necessarily wholesale change the budget um, because the governor spent a lot of time putting that in place, but they can definitely make suggestions and, um, you know, tweak the budget. Once the budget's done, then I'm in charge of issuing the bonds, for example, um, for all sorts of projects, whether it's, you know, um, schools, the the hospitals and other large infrastructure projects. And then based on 
my boards and commissions, I have to distribute the money. And so we have to create rules and regulations, and then sometimes it's a competitive process to get that money out. So I'm really kind of on the back end. Once the governor and the legislature decides what the budget's going to be, then they send it over to me, and then I have to manage the money and get it out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Where the rubber meets the road, get the money out there. Exactly. (laughs) What is the most memorable and successful experience you've had in your position? I love going on tours. Um, So I decided early on that the best way for me to learn in the legislature is to sit on as many committees as I could. So agriculture was something I never grew up with. I grew up on Long Island, lived in San Francisco, thought our food came from the supermarket. And when I sat on the agriculture committee, I was blown away Mm. that we produce over 400 different agricultural products here in California. So I started doing one tour, two tours, three tours, and every tour that I do, every meeting that I have, I learn something new uh, from the farmers and the ranchers. So that is probably the best thing that I've done is ride a horse up Geneva Avenue by the Cow Palace, reenacting how the cattle would come by rail. They would offload and they would be herded up into the Cow Palace. And we actually did one of these live uh, cattle herding um, demonstrations. The second uh, memorable thing I did was flying on a cod to the SS uh, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of uh, San Diego. Um, we, We left out of San Diego and flew out onto a aircraft carrier. Mm. That to me was number one, amazing because aircraft carriers are like little cities. And we have young people that are in all of these control rooms, right? There were nuclear submarines, it's a nuclear, you know, weapons on there with 18 and 19 year olds, um, you know, learning and being responsible for the safety of our nation. Wow. Uh, So those were like two really memorable Mm -hmm. um, events. Third one is going up in the Golden Gate uh, Bridge. I'm going to the top of the Golden Gate Bridge uh, with my husband. That is something that he really wanted to do when we met. He gave me three things he wanted to do. And so that was one of uh, the ones. And so that was also a very memorable um, occasion. So being able to just see and do things that that are iconic uh, for California. Sounds pretty adventurous as well. So you didn't fall off the horse, did you? No. No good. No, not yet. (laughs) Challenges, you know, kind of shifting into, because I'm sure that you have many challenges with the work that you have. What has been that greatest challenge you've faced in your work? I think the greatest challenge is accepting that you can't please everyone all the time, as you know. I'm sure you have different stakeholders that no matter what decision you make, they're just not happy. And for people, I think a lot of people want to please people. We want to be liked as politicians, but I think that is probably the hardest challenge is that you can't always be liked. And people attack you, you know, over one issue versus like your whole 
track record. I've been doing this for 20 years, and people will still be mad at me over one vote that I made 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Versus, um, you know, looking at the whole package. Right. And then the media is really difficult these days. Um, back, you know, five, six years ago, the media did a lot of research. They wanted to get the facts. And now, because of social media, and they want to be first to market, uh, they want to get the hits on Twitter. And so they don't put out the truth all the time. And they want to take things out of context. And so I have to spend a lot of time protecting my brand. So every day I am posting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you follow me, you will see what I'm doing every day yeah. to help California, doing my job, promoting you know, small businesses and farmers. Um, and that's the only way that we can really combat the media these mm -hmm. days. But it's getting tougher and tougher to run for office and to be an elected office. Mm, that's an interesting observation. We hear a lot about equity and social justice in our schools, certainly. In what ways do these terms resonate with you in your role as California State Treasurer and within your office? How do you advance the work that needs to be done in these areas? Yeah, so um, that is very important to me, equity and social justice. Um, being a woman, a minority, you know, eldest daughter of immigrant parents, um, I try to level the playing field whenever I can. I try to remember that not everybody speaks English. Not everybody has the luxury of uh, raising their children at home, for example, or going to PTA meetings or buying a house. So how do we make it easier uh, for these communities to essentially catch up, right? Um, or have access to financing and opportunities that they may not even know they have opportunities. So I'll give you an example. I chair uh, two committees that allocates bonds and tax credits for affordable housing. Now, before, right, it's survival of the fittest. Usually the people who are the most experienced can hire the lobbyists and the lawyers get most of the resources. So we have been very deliberate on our committee to try to better allocate uh, those resources so that the rural communities, the tribal communities, are able to access these resources to also build affordable housing. So not only did we allocate the funding to different types of construction, but also to geographic regions mm. so that they can better compete. Because Humboldt is not going to be able to compete against San Francisco. Right. Right. But if we allocate a certain amount to the rural communities, to North, Northern California, for example, then they've got a shot. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do all of my programs like that. We put money into local banks that are headquartered in California. And when we started, I said, where do we put the money? Well, many of them were in the big cities, LA, San Francisco, because a lot of the smaller financial institutions didn't know that we had this program. Yeah. So I asked my office, please reach out to all these rural communities. And whenever I come uh, to a community like today, we just I just had a meeting and they said, 
our two local banks are Redwood Capital and Coast Central Credit Union. So then I go back and I say, are they in our program? Mm -hmm. If they're not in our program, I said, please reach out to them and see if they would like to be in our program. We basically give the money to these financial institutions so that they can loan it Mm -hmm. out to the community. So having that extra capital actually will help more businesses, um, you know, come back quicker, quicker. Well, and by being on tour like you are, it's how you really get to know what the community needs are and identify those areas where you may be able to support and help. Absolutely. Right. Right. All right. Just a couple more questions before we head into our lightning round. So heads up on that. If a high school student is contemplating a career in finance, what advice would you give them? Yes. Um, Try to participate in whatever programs are available or start one, an investment club, a financial literacy program. Um, Have you attended a junior achievement class, right? I think the more you do and become comfortable with numbers will make you a better finance person. Mm. Then I would intern. Intern as much as you can with whoever is in that type of business, whether it's a banker, whether it's a state treasurer or a local treasurer, right? Because then you start getting to know some of the options for you. And I would definitely, if you're going to go into the finance area, try to intern during your four years because it is really tough to get a job these days. Mm. You're gonna be competing with many people who get straight A's like you, mm. but they're gonna pick the one who has the best resume. Yeah. So if you could go to a college that has paid internship requirements, that's what I did. After two paid internships, they offered me a job after college. That I think is the best way to go to a college with paid internship yeah. program have that work-based experience. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Super. All right. My last question for you before we head into the lightning round. This now shifting from students. If there's one piece of advice you can give to our listeners who are parents or guardians of children and youth. Well, since I am the treasure, I will put on <laughs> my treasure's hat on. Uh, number one, um, invest in financial literacy. Uh, There is a bill, I believe, this season, uh, this um, legislative season, that would mandate a certain amount of hours for financial literacy. That, I think, would make a huge difference. At least just introduce young people that when they go to college and someone offers them a free credit card, it is not free. Someone needs to pay it back. Mm. And if you don't pay it back, it could ruin your credit. If it ruins your credit, you're not going to be able to go buy a car, buy a house, right? If you have high student loan debt, that is going to follow you forever. Mm -hmm. So save money early. I would ask parents, open up a Scholarship 529 account, right? $100 every month for 18 years could add up to $68,000, right? That's real money. So- Mm -hmm. Set it and forget it, $100 a month could make a huge difference. So for parents, that would be peace of mind. That if your kids get into 
whether it's a UC, a state, or even a private college, that you will have the money to pay for it and not have to think about borrowing uh, to pay or getting all of these student loans for your, your kids. So I'm a big proponent of saving money, saving money early, saving as much as you can um, for you know a rainy day, for retirement, for education, whatever it is, just put it aside and forget it. Yeah, great. Great. All right. I, I'm sure that my uh, my three children, I'll, I'll rerun this podcast and make sure they listen to the advice on credit cards. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. Ready for the lightning round? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Just your first response uh, to these questions. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, watch Korean dramas, eat sushi, and sing karaoke. Hmm. All at the same time? No. <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> Texting or talking? Texting. Mm. Favorite day of the week and why? Oh, every day is kind of the same for me. It doesn't matter. I work seven days a week. Mm. Um, maybe Wednesday, hump day. There you go. Middle of the week. Middle of the week. Favorite city in the world besides the one you live in? Shanghai. Mm. Last non-work-related book that you read? I'm reading one now. Uh, uh, oof. Um, From the Bottom of the South China Seas by Robert Wells. I have heard of that book. And he talks about the time of the transcontinental railroad yes. workers, the Chinese coming over by boats to California, not only to mine gold, build the railroad, farm our, our, our land. Uh, and so I'm halfway through that okay. book right now. Sounds like you're enjoying it. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Mm. Two words your colleagues would use to describe you. Hardworking, practical. Mm. Person you admire the most? I don't know. I'm in, I'm in politics, so I don't know. <laughs> Bill and Hillary Clinton, mm. you know, that they're um, gifted. They're, they're smart. They're people, 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 persons. Um, uh, they're accomplished. Um, they've made it far in their lives in terms mm. of being elected. So I think as a couple, I think they're pretty, uh, pretty high on my list as an elected official. Okay. All right. Sitting at the beach or watching the beach from a boat? Sitting on the beach. Mm. I don't like to be stuck on the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and finally, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm a pescatarian, but no. No. Okay. Everybody loves animal crackers. Absolutely. Treasure Ma, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast, Humco Learn, this afternoon. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for your leadership. 